This is your Bible teaching program called Search for Truth. Hello and thanks for tuning in. Today, Brian brings us talk number six in the present series, which is called Would You Also Go Away? Each week, Brian highlights a separate situation from the Bible, which when applied to ourselves, might compromise our integrity or commitment as Christian disciples. Today's talk's called A Piece of Brass. And here's Brian to tell us more. Okay, thanks, John. Things were not going well. You've been there too. Sometime, some place in your life when things are not working out like you expected. It was a not untypical day in the life of Moses, the leader who'd led the Israelites out of Egypt's slavery. The story of the Old Testament is very largely the story of the people of Israel whom God rescued from Egyptian slavery. God had promised his people that a land of plenty lay ahead, but it was taking time to get there. That was deliberate, of course. God's plan was to humble his people and test them to expose all that was in their heart. So he deliberately allowed his people to grow hungry as part of the way in which he disciplined them to test if they would walk in his ways and reverence him. On this particular day, while on a lengthy detour by way of the Red Sea around the land of Edom, the people had just about had enough. Impatient because of the journey, they complained against God and Moses. To begin with, they moaned about the fact there was no food and no water, and so, of course, as they saw it, they were going to die in the desert. They'd have been better off back in Egypt, they said. The reality was that God was providing bread for them every day, but they didn't like its taste, and they weren't satisfied. So, as we said, things weren't going well, but it was going to get worse, for we read in Numbers, chapter 21, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord, that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten When he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. This, you may remember, is the incident referred to in John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The snake on the stake or the serpent on the pole to be looked at in faith was a picture of a greater salvation all those years later. It pictured the time when Jesus Christ, God's Son, hung suspended on the cross to pay the price some 2,000 years ago of all our human rebellion against God. For everyone today, the Christian message is again one of look and live, meaning a look in faith to the Christ of the cross brings the ultimate healing of forgiveness by God into our lives. But let's get back again to the days of Moses. After this incident involving the snake being raised on a pole, life continued and the journey to the promised land went on. 
But whatever happened, we might ask, to that snake which Moses had made out of brass? Well, what we do know is that the Israelites kept it. You might think that the preservation of this relic might, like the pot of manna and Aaron's rod, have remained an instructive monument of God's goodness and mercy to the Israelites in the wilderness. Was that why they kept it? This brazen serpent that Moses had made in the desert and which had been brought by the children of Israel even into the land of Canaan itself, was it intended that it should always be kept as a memorial of the gracious miracle God had worked when those bitten had simply and obediently looked to it? I very much doubt that superstitious reverence had been paid to it ever since the time of Moses, for such idolatry surely wouldn't have been tolerated by Asa or Jehoshaphat had they been aware of such foolishness. No more likely, the introduction of the practice of reverencing the image of the brass serpent dates from an ungodly king like Ahaz. Did some people later come to misunderstand or wrongly recall what had happened in the desert in the time of Moses? After all, serpent worship, however revolting it may appear, was far from an uncommon form of idolatry in the ancient world, and it would get an easier reception in Israel because of the fact that many of the neighbouring nations, such as the Egyptians and Phoenicians, worshipped idol gods in the form of serpents as emblems of health and immortality. We can't even discount the fact that this bronze snake image might have been regarded as a sacred relic, something to be venerated simply because it had been made by Moses. And generation after generation may have heard some distorted version of the story of how a supernatural power in the snake itself had made it a means of healing of the Israelites. If so, later generations could easily have come to imagine that it might be of some service to them too, in any time of trouble. If it was in the time of King Ahaz that this relic had begun to be misused, then such misuse didn't last long. For we read of how when Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord, He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. We are told there that good King Hezekiah broke in pieces the brazen serpent. It surely took courage to destroy what had become an object of idolatrous worship. He even went so far as to call it Nehushtan. In some parts of the English-speaking world today, we hear of someone who calls a spade a spade. This is usually said as a compliment. It describes someone who talks plainly. Such a man tells it as it truly is. It seems like Hezekiah was that kind of man. In a day when people were reverencing this relic and probably attributing supernatural powers to it, Hezekiah called it a piece of brass, for that's all it was. 
And that's what that word means when it's translated. Nehushtan simply means a piece of brass. Hezekiah saw how the people had been ensnared by it and drawn into idolatry to it. And by way of contempt, he called it by this name, Nehushtan, which literally means a thing of brass. Obviously, he was suggesting that it was only a bit of metal with absolutely no divinity connected with it. Such a thing could be of no service to the people in divine things. And so that it would be no longer a snare to them, he broke it into pieces. Well done, Hezekiah. He was a true reformer. It's so easy in religious matters, as in any other field, to see things the way everyone else around us does. Hezekiah bucked that trend. He was a man of strong personal convictions and outstanding faith in God, which was anchored in God's word, for he clung to the Lord and kept his commandments. There are all sorts of religious ideas that get handed down from past generations. Even to this day, many revere holy relics of one sort or another. When, towards the close of the first century, the Apostle John signed off his first letter saying, Guard yourselves from idols. I don't suppose for a moment he was thinking of brazen images. If the preceding content of his letter is anything to go by, his concern at that time was focused on faulty mental images of God, and especially of God's Son, Jesus Christ. It seems some at that time were trying to split his personality, to say the man Jesus only possessed deity in some temporary degree. Other faulty thinking in the early days of Christianity, which the Apostle Paul battled against, was the persistently attractive human notion that we can and must contribute to our own salvation by the performance of certain time-honoured religious rituals. Much nearer to our own times, another reformer, Luther, exposed the biblical error in that kind of thinking. He discovered that Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 shows that we are made right with God through faith alone and not by our own working. Hezekiah's father and Hezekiah's own generation had got it wrong. Like others God has used to preserve truth, Hezekiah was prepared, if necessary, to be in a minority of one, so long as God was with him. God doesn't ask us to follow other people's pattern of behaviour, but to follow the pattern for serving him which is found in the Bible. Hezekiah benchmarked his life against that of his ancestor David, and for us, our model is David's greater son, Jesus.
If you'd like to receive a transcript booklet of all the talks in this series, or more than one copy for group Bible study or to pass on to friends, make sure to let us have your postal address. And please note, we never pass your personal details to anyone else. And if you're writing in for a booklet, ask for the title, Would You Also Go Away? Now, you can also download our booklets via the internet, and you can order by email or by post. But first, I'll start with the postal address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5 6LN, UK. And now here's our email address. It's uh, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, if you want to, you can download MP3s or podcasts of some past programs. Uh, just go to our website at www.searchfortruth.org.uk. Now, some titles of Search for Truth are also available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box. And more back copy titles are constantly being made available, so it's worth going on from time to time. So many thanks for the pleasure of your company today. It's been great to have you with us. And please join us next week if you can. But for now, it's best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So cheerio, and may God richly bless you. Whoa.